0: Okay, well we are headed into a new book of the Bible today and that is James. And it's almost at the end if you are looking for it and we are starting off and it's it's the practice of our church to take a section, a letter and to walk through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse and we're beginning a new one. But it's one that some people struggle with and so I wanted to start with this actually. You know, a couple of weeks ago I learned something interesting about my kids. We asked them. We said, "What's your favorite vegetable?" dangerous question. And the kids said, artichokes. Now they don't get artichokes very often, which is maybe why they like the artichokes. But I started thinking about that and thinking that, you know, artichokes are an interesting thing. You can't just take an artichoke and I can't just hand it to you and say, here, have this delicious vegetable. And you take it and take a nice big bite of artichoke. You would bite it and go, Ugh. It's the leaves and they're kind of prickly and they go up and you got to see an artichoke takes preparation. you got to boil it for an hour or so first. Then you got to actually take the leaves one at a time and you pluck them off and you dip it in something and you, you eat it, right? Just the little bottom part. And then you cut it and you, you eat the heart. The heart's the delicious portion. And all this else comes out of the heart. And I think that's helpful for as we think about going into James, because, because James Martin Luther called a right strawy epistle. And what he means is that when he bit it, it tasted like raw artichoke. It was only later in life that he said, no, it, it's not, it's not strawy. It's, it's actually delicious. I get the heart of what's going on. And my, my passion for us today and my, my goal for us today is why I'm calling this Embracing James. Because I think as we look at it, and we will, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you're going to come and say, well, I can embrace James. I can give him a hug. And not be like, wait a minute, I think something wrong is going on here. Or, this is too unsettling for me. I think he's beautiful. I I think the reason why we go down these paths is we somehow think that there's a fight going on between Paul and James. Because Paul's all like, faith alone and grace alone. And James is all like, watch out for your tongue. And somehow what creeps in is this idea that they don't agree. And I want to make sure you know just up front today as we do a little overview of James and, and and look at the very first piece, is that they're the same message. They both get the gospel. They're not enemies, they're they're friends. And faith does work, but it works in a not in a prove it kind of way, and that's not what James is about. Faith acts because it's real. If you really get the gospel, if this is true to you, it it, it does happen that your life will change because you'll look at everything differently. I mean, sometimes I think the problem is we think of faith as a body of doctrine. It's almost like these truths we're going to hold to that are true. And in our head we get it, but actually faith is a relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he's done everything for us. It's, It's not just a dry, cold thing. And at its base, and again, I say this up front, I, I I think a lot of us continue to be driven by fear. I think there's fear in Christianity for some people. The the Bible says Jesus died for you, and he did it wonderfully, and he did it while you were a sinner, and he, he loves you, and he's given a new heart, and all this is gift. And yet there's this little niggle of fear in you and I that we're not who we should be, that that maybe maybe God doesn't really... Love me. Maybe I haven't done enough for God. Maybe I haven't done these things, and I, I start to, to walk into into fear, and and then I hear James, and I think, man, there's this to do, and I haven't done it well, and then that's another piece of doubt for me that I'm really saved. And so I, I want to pull today towards you and me to get convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sin and peace with God by grace alone, and that that's James. And then encourage you about how that might play out in your life. Okay, to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to look, look at a couple things. And the first thing we have to look at is his story, is the story of James. What's his story? Who is this guy? Who is James? And he starts the epistle this way in verse 1 of chapter 1. Here it is. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Okay, this is like the most pithy, shortest greeting in all the New Testament. It's that short. Says so, he, James, a servant of God and Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I get it. Twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Twelve tribes, then he's writing to Christians who are Jewish that have been scattered from Jerusalem because of persecution, and they're all over. And he sends this broadcast letter. It's not to one person, it's to a group of people. And the person that's doing it, James, we have is what he sees as the thing, what's important for you to know is that he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. That's his identification. That's his identity. This is all we need to know of him is he's this servant. But but that should raise a flag for you. And we, as we study, we think about and we look and, and I encourage you and I pull you in that we know more of James than that, don't we? Why did he just write that? When we know so much more. What do you know of James? You know it's universally. No one really argues over this. No one fights over who wrote James that much. We all kind of uh, get and we all uh, agree that the person that wrote James is the brother of Jesus. I know, half-brother. That's right. Half-brother because because Mary w- didn't have any children. She was a virgin. and then and, and then the Lord and Holy Spirit had her conceive Christ. But then after that, Joseph and Mary, who got married, they had more kids. And so James is the half-brother, the brother that grew up with Jesus and, and just a few years younger than him probably. So that all of Jesus, are you kind of jealous of James? Think about he got to be with Jesus every single day growing up and all the things he would have to say. Think of how he would would follow Jesus around and how Jesus was totally perfect all the time and and, and how James would just get to see that, the perfection of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, the wonder of Jesus, someone who never did anything wrong. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not jealous of James. You do realize when you have someone over you all the time who's better than you at everything it's usually not joy to you usually it bursts in you resentment because you can't do and and it leads to frustration and sadness and and so that's what this this james that's who he was he got to see jesus left behind in the in the temple teaching at age 12 teaching the rabbis and james is probably 8 or 9 my brother can do that what can you do james Well, the really neat thing is that would be James' testimony, and he would have wonderful things to say about Jesus. I know. I mean, surely he got to see all these things, and so he believed in Jesus. And actually, the Bible's very specific on that point. James, in Jesus' ministry time when Jesus was 30 and James was 27, all those 27 years, James did not believe in Jesus. I mean, you have, for example, that the scene where Jesus turns water into wine, this very first miracle recorded in John 2. And you have this statement that his mom's there and his brothers are around and the disciples are there. And then it has this statement, and his disciples believed in him. Kind of, you know, I know it's argument by, by not being there, but it kind of echoes through. It doesn't say his disciples and his brothers. We have this very specific statement in John after the feeding of the five thousand and and then this credible miracles Jesus has done and and these pieces and his brothers are talking to him and it says this not even his brothers James as his brothers believed in him we know he didn't believe pretty remarkable then there's this rebuke this is in Luke chapter eight. When his mother and his brothers, so there's James and his brothers, and they come to see Jesus. But but now Jesus is kind of a celebrity. All these people around Jesus, and they can't get to him because of the crowd. It says, and and Jesus was told, "Your mother and your brothers are standing outside." I mean, they want to see you, and he answered them, "My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it." You you hear that? The rebuke of Jesus, isn't that right? Bummer. And and what he's saying, we understand what he's saying, I think, is that, hey, the work of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent. And he's saying, my brothers, don't believe in me. James doesn't believe in Jesus. This is the man who grew up. This is what we know of him. And he says, oh, he had all this special knowledge of Jesus, but that knowledge of Jesus didn't lead to faith. It it, it led to um, not believing. So the question is, what changed? He wrote this letter. We know more of James, right? We can look, and I won't take you through all the passages, but in Acts chapter 1, he's there praying with the disciples. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Jesus appeared to Peter, and he appeared to 500 people, and he appeared to James. We have James, who became the leader of the Jerusalem church, and when Paul wants to come and talk about what's happening in Jerusalem, and is it okay, his ministry, he comes to James. We have James, who is so, so Pious that he is known as camel knees. You've heard that right? It means the pads on his leg, the calluses on his knees were so thick as he prayed all the time. What changed? Here's what changed. I left out a big event, didn't I? This man who is God named Jesus died on a cross and he rose from the dead and he paid for our sins. And, and in there, in that event, James turned from himself and the resentment that he can't be perfect and he has this brother who's Mr. Perfection and he can't do, and he turned and gave up on himself and he trusted Jesus. And so it matters to me. It matters to me and it should matter to you that this is what he calls himself. He could say, wouldn't you normally say, just get it in there. Come on. James, half brother of Jesus. James, leader of the Jerusalem church. James, James, I'm with my camel knees. James. But what he actually says is, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. Period. Full stop he's not saying i'm high and an apostle looking down on you he's not saying here i am standing here dictating to you the things you're going to do he's not that heart that heart's not here in james he's saying i'm one of you isn't this you too i mean take that and say could you say it of yourself dax a servant of god and the lord jesus christ yeah i hope you can say that this is my life because of jesus i'm just his servant i'm a servant of god and of jesus That's who we are. So James is saying, I'm writing from the perspective, says James, of being among you. Being you. Not being exalted, not having extra special wisdom that I'm drawing on because I knew Jesus when he was three and you didn't, and therefore all of my opinions trump yours. No, he's saying, I'm with you. I'm applying the same gospel. I'm saved the same way. Here I am. And I know that, not just from this simple little phrase, but because, because if you read James, and I encourage you this week to read it, if you read James and you start to realize there's, there's, there's a common phrase that keeps coming back over and over. And if you go through and read the words and um, if you discount the is and the and and the buts and the does, and you look for what big word is there most of the time, you'll, you'll find one. Not to give it away, but I'm going to give it away. Let me just, let me just give you some verses. See, verse 2, chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. Verse 9, let the lowly brother boast. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Verse 19, beloved brothers. Chapter 2, verse 1, my beloved brethren. Chapter uh, 2, verse 5, my beloved brothers. Chapter 3, verse 1, my brothers. Chapter 3, verse 10, my brothers. Chapter 3, verse 12, my brothers. My, uh, wait a minute. This is not a fraternity bro house he's talking about. (laughs) It's brothers and sisters, right? He's saying, I'm here among you. Brothers and sisters, I'm one of you. We are talking about this great gospel. And as I talk about what's changed in my heart and what the Lord has done, I want to share with you as one of you. Not as a dictator, not as a high, but as a us. He's somebody you'd give a hug to. You can embrace James. James. We're together. We have, we, we all do, right? Have different statuses and different gifts and different offices and different works even, but, but we're the same. Why are we the same? Because of the gift of faith and, and, and this man who knew Jesus when he was a boy and rejected him. But when Jesus died on the cross, he had saving faith of his eyes being opened, saw the depth of his sin, the amazing truth of forgiveness and righteousness given. Never in his work. That's the gospel. Jesus met with James just like Jesus met with Paul. They share the same gospel that we know and love. And so his perspective is not a pithy reexamination of Proverbs. That's not what James is. He didn't write a rule book when we need some advice about holding our tongue or avoiding favoritism. James was enslaved to sin through the law and by Christ, his brother, he was broken of that bondage and came to saving faith. So James gets it. His perspective is the perspective of the gospel, and that should be our assumption. He knows what matters, which is what? Trust in Jesus alone. Okay, I want you to see that that perspective is here, that we're not inserting it into the text just because of what we know of James, but that we actually see it. So, so let's look at the bedrock of James for a minute. This is important for us. We're going we're gonna to go through all of James, but you've got to stand on the bedrock, Or else you're going to eat the artichoke upside down. Okay, what's the bedrock? Well, it's in chapter one, but it's a little further down. So if you have your Bible, look down at verse 16 of chapter one of James. And James writes this Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. That's what he means, right? Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Okay, it starts off this way. I think that's just that verse. Let's stop and talk for a second. Because there's this possibility as you work your way through James that good gifts come to you and, and, and you start to see that, that it's from your perseverance. You, you might be deceived. You might be deceived about faith working. You might be deceived about what James might even say. You might be deceived about what's on you from your hard won effort. Don't you dare be deceived, James says. And and, and by the way, don't be deceived is a wonderful thing because it's really important you not be deceived. Who's the author of deception? Who's the deceiver? It's the devil. You're right. Don't watch out, says James. This is important. And then he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, I mean, you, you might have this verse on your wall. It's a favorite verse, just verse 17 to stick on your wall because it sounds wonderful. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights and there's no variation or shadow of turning. That's how I learned it when I was growing up. Isn't it true? Every good gift, every complete gift, every perfect thing comes down to you down, down, right? Because the father's high and it comes down to you from your father. He is steadfast. He is faithful. He never alters even a bit. So if I have something good and I do have a lot of good things, I can start to name on my kids and my wife and my job and the food that I eat and the life I enjoy and the day I woke up to and the sunshine outside and you just start talking and you know everything good I have, it comes from the father. Very nice sentiment, James. And, and you know what? If you if you get that, that's good, but it's not enough. Who's the father of lights? Well, God is light, you know, and, and spiritually, God, God, uh, truth, he, he shines in the heart of people and we're like a seat on a hill and you start talking about the spiritual use of light. That's okay, but that's probably not what James is talking about. It's, it's pretty much agreed by commentators and by looking what James and his mindset would be as he's talking when he says lights, Father of lights is a phrase to mean to mean the heavenly lights in the sky, the stars. So, so... And I know the more we study the stars, the more amazing it is. And yet the more we study and see how amazing it is, the less amazed we actually are by this phrase and by this. So let me give you a story. You may have heard this from me. I was teaching in, in Burkina Faso one time, and it was Burkina Faso's in Western Africa, and I would go there with um, my parents or missionaries there, and we would teach pastors, and they didn't have a chance, some of them could barely read. And so we would share Genesis with them and we'd go through Genesis and you hit Genesis one sixteen, one seventeen, and right in there it has this almost throwaway phrase, and he made the stars too. And they were like, Okay, cool. Those little tiny lights in the sky, you know. God made they twinkle. And sometimes they go out, but they're out there. And then we said, no, no, you don't understand. These stars are like big. Like a thousand, thousand Earths could fit into one of them. And there are billions and billions of them. That's my best Carl Sagan. That's all I can do. (laughs) But 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 there are, there are so many stars and they're massively huge. And then what what I want to catch is that having that thought in their head, I wish I could have recorded it on video because what happened was they went, there was this collective almost, almost cringe and gasp. (gasps) Not a (laughs) cough. And I wish I could get captured, not because of their ignorance, but because we've lost that. We need that. We need to regain that because it's true. What James is saying, that God is the father of the lights. God is the father of the stars. God made each of these massive, huge, amazing stars. He made all of them, and you can see a few, but I'll tell you there are billions upon billions of massive stars of the whole universe wide, and over that universe out there is God. He is vastness beyond vastness. Power beyond power. That's my God, right? He's the father of lights. So you hear father of lights and you should hear like big, massive, amazing, powerful God who's over everything that is. He made it all. And. This amazing, huge, vast God is the one who gives good gifts, perfect gifts, to you. So if God is vast and huge and above the stars, and he's giving gifts to little tiny grains of sand, wow, you are so insignificant, and yet God deigns to give you good things. I think this is why, honestly, this is what I think about how the demons have trouble. It's not because they don't think God is vast. It's because we're so stinking tiny and God deigns to just bless us with good gifts. God, you would just step on them. Not even step. They're too small to step on. That's us. And this amazing, and, and then God comes in and he actually comes in and breaks through with Jesus Christ who becomes one of us. And we have this amazing thing of the gospel, which is this great and, and awesome God who made everything and Who has so much power you can't even understand him. You we can't grasp it with our mind. We can't even really see him. I, even to look at him, you gotta put Moses and see his trail a little bit. But that's all you can do because he's so vast and then, and and yet, and yet he gives us everything. The kids I have, what a blessing, this gift of God, the food I eat, the life I live, this savior who has given me everything, salvation, forgiveness, righteousness. He's done it because he, he has the power and I have nothing. Hide that in your heart. Hide it in your heart. And it says this, he keeps going, right? He keeps going. He says, he says this, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Of his own will. <laughs> he did it, right? This is James thinking through about the power of God in your life through Christ alone. And he's speaking of the gospel, right? He, he's brought us forth by the word of truth. Jesus is the word. And we have the, that this truth has come and is, are, so we've been saved and, and that we should be a kind of first fruits. And, and again, we take that word and we're not really first fruits. We we're first fruits? Like, well, you know, yeah, Jesus was the first of many brothers. It's kind of like that, that, that Jesus is the first. Well, maybe. But but really probably James is a steeped Old Testament guy. He was Jewish before he was Christian. He knows the Old Testament. What he's probably talking about is the is the Jewish view of first fruits. Do you know what that is? We're not going to go there, but I, I want to read it to you. Really important, actually. Of his own will, he brought us, you and I, us. And James, too, by the word of truth, that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. What is that? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 26, let me just read a bit. Moses is standing there talking to the Israelites. They're standing on the plain of Moab. That's Those plains where they're about to go into the promised land and take the land that God had given them. Moses couldn't go. So he gave them these sermons and instructed them, and in chapter twenty six he says this he says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and you've taken possession and live in it, then you shall take the first fruits of your produce, the first fruits of your animals. He starts talking about this first fruits. And he says in verse four, he says, He says, Then the priest shall take this basket of your first fruits from your hand, and you shall set it down before the altar of the Lord, and you shall make response before the Lord your God. Listen, this is first fruits. A wandering Aramean was my father and he went down into Egypt, and he sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great and mighty and populous, and the Egyptians treated us harshly, and humiliated us, and laid us in hard labor, and then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice, and saw our affliction, our toil, our oppression, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt, with a mighty hand, and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders, and he brought us into this place, and he gave us, This land, a land flowing of milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, first fruits, which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. What's the first fruits? It's this. It's it's a marker. Of the incredible, mighty hand of God for people who are nobodies. (laughs) Iron Man was my father. That's saying, I'm from nowhere. I have no call. I have no status. I have nothing. And God in his mighty hand has just blessed me. Where's that blessing from for you and me? Where do we locate it? We locate it in Jesus. We're talking about Jesus Christ. And so we have this peace that the God who made the stars, the God mighty and awesome King. And this, this is amazing that, that we have this life in Christ that he's given us. This, this is the gospel. This is the perspective of James. James. This is where James is coming from. This is why James wants to put us all together. This is why James is coming from this perspective to saying it's it's I'm I'm flattened by the amazement of the God of heaven, the father of lights and what he's done in Christ that I have every good and perfect gift. It's amazing. That's the perspective. Do you see it? You start to see it, the half brother of God, James, but that's not his identity. He's, he's one of us and, and it's so important. We have to fight this. We have to fight for this perspective because deception lurks. Deception lurks away from this, away from this perspective to pull you into other things in your own status, in your own place, in your own advancement, in anything else than this. And 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 so we need to gather together to remind ourselves of the gospel. That's what we're doing, especially as we read James. James doesn't think he's anything or accomplishing some great task. Every good and perfect gift is given, not earned. But the reality of this perspective, it colors the commands And we need to think about that because there are commands in James, a lot of them. There's 108 verses in James. There are 59 commands. So that perspective, that bedrock is how we need to approach and see how we consume James. James. We can start. We're just going to take one today. We don't have much time, but I want to take one because I I think it's important to see how it plays out in this bedrock way. We're going to go through and we'll go through all 59, but this is the deal. We need to think about how do we respond given the perspective James has, the bedrock James has, the story James has as he writes these things among us. So let's look. Let's go back up and take the first one. It's in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That, verse 2, is a command. Do you see it? It's called the imperative. It's when the Bible has a command, and it has something that's there. It says, count it all joy. Reckon it joy. You are to count it joy when, you, when you're in trials. Various kinds of trials, various colors, Various. You can, you can think of all different kinds of things that are trials in your life, and, and as you consider that, you should consider it joy. Count it all joy. When you struggle, count it joy. Boy, if you don't have James' perspective, if you don't get where James is coming from, which is the gospel, you are going, you are going to do this wrong. I, I know it. I've seen it. You can know do it in a couple of ways. One, one is this way. You're going to do it like this. You must be joyful. You must be joyful. It's a command of the Bible. Okay, it doesn't actually say be joyful. It says you must count it all joy. What does that mean? Be joyful. Essentially. Count it in your head as joy when you're struggling. And and what did I do? I kind of, it's easy. It's really fun. Let me do it again. Ooh. I pointed at you, right? I pointed you. need to be joyful. And I made this a command for you to do. And, and you can combine this with a couple verses downstream in this very chapter and say, if you don't have that joy, you need to pray for it. Only pray for it without doubting or else you won't get it. And then, and then when you don't get it and you still struggle, then I know. You're a doubter. You probably aren't even a Christian. There you go. We're done. I mean, that's where you have to go, because because honestly, there are many people that you know in this room who struggle with joy. Many. So is that what it is? It's redouble, right? Cuz you can take it that way. Hey, I just pointed to you. What did you, what did I do? I went on high and I pointed down at you to say you need to do this. That's a command from on high. That's called law. That's you saying this is what the rule says to do. You need to redouble your efforts to make sure you have this in your life which is joy. And if you don't have it, you better go get it because it's a command of the Bible. You laugh. I mean, I, people think this. I mean, maybe you're not even totally certain. Let me tell you, James is totally after you're not having any doubt in your faith. None. Every good gift is from the Father of lights. He's brought you forth by His will. The answer to no doubt is not, be joyful, and if you can't find it, you're not. His. I had, and I've shared this, maybe I, I can't go too long, but I just... This wonderful missionary that I knew that I served with in China. I was there for a year serving Jesus in China and teaching, um, English. And one of the missionaries who was there was a neat older Christian woman and she had, um, she desperately wanted to be married, but wasn't, she struggled greatly with depression. But she knew verse first, and she'd been taught this verse as a command, and others like it, rejoice always. And so she'd taken it as, I don't. And so what do I do? So she took antidepressants to make her feel better, but she felt guilty that she had to because she shouldn't have to as a Christian. So every four or five months she would go off of them to try and again, try again. Now that I've gotten a little um, more joy in my life, now I'm going to try and do it on my own because really, if I'm a Christian, I should. And so the work of her life was that she didn't really believe. She wasn't certain now. It'd been so long that she was really a Christian. Because she should have joy. Because James 2, chapter 1, verse 2. Philippians 4. That's a tragic thing, don't you think? Think God is thinking that? You think we'd use James that way? Or you could, almost the same thing, it's not too far away from it, but you might think, well, Dax, that's a little too strong. But I will say that God's commands are his enablements, and so here you have, the Holy Spirit should help you have joy. And this is a command, and since it's a command, the Holy Spirit will allow it to happen. So the statement to consider it joy means the Holy Spirit will allow you to consider it joy, and this also is a fruit of the Spirit. And so therefore, if you don't have joy, you don't have enough Holy Spirit. You've got to get more, but if you've been listening the past few weeks, and I encourage you to go do that, you have the Holy Spirit if you believe in Jesus. You have him. And it's, that, that essentially is no different than the first, because the reason why you're not actually then joyful is because you haven't, you haven't tried hard enough to empower the Holy Spirit in your life, maybe, whatever you think that is. There's a little bit of truth there, but we'll get to the little truth right now, which is this. Is this a command? You need to be joyful. Is this the perspective that James has that we've I've shared with you so far as we embrace James? Uh, is, is God after the result? But what if it's not the truth that God's after the result? What instead of a pithy statement of what you need to, need to do, James is actually explaining How this incredible thing that I just told you is the bedrock actually plays out in your life. How you get the heart, you see. Because you should be mad at me. I just took you through this whole thing with one verse. And if there's anything you know in our church, you don't stop at one verse. You keep going at least for two. So let's go to the next one. For you know. Again, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Wait a minute. I just led you down the garden path. So do many, many people. This isn't about you having joy. This is about what causes joy. Do you see that? Walk with me. You know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. If you are in trial and you still believe in Jesus, wow! The only thing that matters in your life is faith. James would stand up and say hallelujah true faith faith is trust that jesus did it all and so the trust that i have that jesus did it all gets tested how bad things happen to me i do bad things things that are, are disruptive and if in the middle of that what you're doing is saying i still believe in jesus that is james is saying cause for great rejoicing why because faith is all that matters maybe because the testing your faith produces steadfastness it's endurance it's it's actually, look, I haven't been hit off on either way. And as I'm not hit off on other way, I get that assurance that my faith, my trust, the only thing that matters, is real. That's not because I'm joyful. That's cause for rejoicing. That, that's what he actually says, right? The the reason that you count it all joy isn't some new law command some accomplishment factor. The reason you should count it joy is that you still believe and you go through hard times and you're in the midst of it and and, and you still now and forever trusting in Jesus and cold, hard head truth that doesn't get inside you, doesn't hold fast when hard times come. And and James is not saying that. You got to paste on a smile. Oh, I got to count it all joy that difficult things are happening to me. Okay. (laughs) My kids won't talk to me. I lost my job. I really don't have enough food to eat, but I'm counting it all joy. No, what he's saying is, as those things happen and they're terrible, hard things, and you say, I hate this, I don't like that my kids won't talk to me. I don't like that I'm not eating enough food. I don't like that I don't have enough friends. At the same time, what I say is, I can count it joy because I still trust Jesus. That's all that matters. And these other things, they hit at you, and they hit at you, and it's okay that they hit at you. Some of them are consequences of what you do, and some of them are, are different circumstances in your life you have no control over. But all of it, the only thing that really beats your heart is that this great Father of lights has deigned to give Jesus, and do you still believe that this is your anchor of your soul? You know how we sang sang earlier, we sang that the anchor holds within the veil, that you have this anchor for your life, and the fact that you're still holding on to this anchor ought to make you smile. Because it's all that matters. That's considerate all joy. That's James, who has the right perspective of the gospel, saying the thing that matters is your faith. Okay. If you see that, you should rejoice. You will rejoice, right? You have what matters. You get that perspective. If you don't have it, the idea is not pasted on. The idea is go think about the father of lights. Go think about the gospel. Go think about the depth of what Christ has done for you. It will produce thankfulness. It will produce joy as you get the perspective. But it's not lame, wrong, commanded that you somehow get a smile, We'll take more this, of this next week. We'll continue on. There's much to talk about trials here. But for this week, I'm going to stop. But I want you to see James isn't about establishing some external code. He's not about giving you a checklist. He's not requiring joy in a pasted-on way. It isn't even the point. The point is you're trusting the fantastic news that you can smile. You're going to see how great it is. And so this is the thing I want I want to make sure you see. It, it, woe to you if what you do is you take the wonderful fruit of the gospel and all of its wonder, and what you do is you take a fish and you stick it in there so that what people do is have a little bit of doubt. James has not written that you would doubt. But I'll tell you what, these commands, we hear them sometimes and it injects a little bit in us. I, 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 I like the gospel, but I'm just not sure. Why are you not sure? Well, I know I'm supposed to have joy. I struggle with that. What does that have to do with the gift? Nothing. And yet, the devil wants you to doubt. Don't let him. Martin Luther, I'll close with this. Martin Luther famously said that to be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. We need this. You need it to just trust that it's Christ alone. This is the message of the Bible. This is James, and I invite you, like the delicious heart of an artichoke, to embrace him. Let's pray.